Dorka Keen will be here. She's a, I'm going to say it, she's a powerhouse. She's an art consultant for uh, Keen on Art. She's on the Arts Commission, Chairs the Visual Arts Committee. She's a founder and uh, sight unseen. She has a co-founder and co-chair of Emerge America. You just have to listen. She's coming up right now. Dorka, thank you so much for coming. Here we are in our studio. I've got notes, I've got questions. You've done so much. <laughs> I've got lists. Well, thanks we got for fresh air. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You used to have a radio show? I did. I had a radio show called Keen on Art, which was on the local Air America station. Oh, cool. Uh, back after it was, you probably don't remember, Green 960. Do you remember that radio station? No. Anyway, so I interviewed... I was kind of like the Terry Gross of uh, the Air America station. Was this like Janine Garofalo station <laughs> kind of thing? No. No, I and totally actually, Gavin Newsom, remember when he was mayor, he took uh -huh. over my slot when I, when I gave it up. Oh. But I interviewed all sorts of artists, um, musicians, filmmakers, um, even politicians who wrote books. Like, uh, I had Al Franken on my show. And yeah. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. That sounds like um, you could sit in this seat. Like, we're just swapping. <laughs> Although I wouldn't be as good of a participant as Though you I have be. to say, you know, interviewing artists sometimes can be difficult because while they're so great at expressing themselves visually, sometimes speaking is a challenge for them so we did a lot of editing on my show oh did you, you what about like a little wine we, I, we, we didn't do it tonight but yesterday we were talking about having a, uh, another podcast with an editor um from spaces magazine but we we're like yeah we'll definitely have wine let's schedule at like 4 30. You know, did you try that ever no but i actually um I was in the clear channel air america was at the clear channel uh -huh, building you yeah. know which was you know most of clear channels um Radio stations are conservative, uh -huh. and so I had to sort of run the gauntlet in between a lot of these conservative talk show people, and it was oh, really yeah. a bummer to have to go down there and have that experience because I am a liberal. Uh, uh -huh. So I started doing my radio show out of the basement of my of my house, and so I would have, or I would do it on the phone. I did a lot of phone interviews when it was national, but I would have people come to my house, so it was already yeah. more more relaxed. Yeah. Um, that sounds cool. The Terry Gross of here. Like Terry. Do you ever see a photo of Terry and you're like, no, no. I've met her. And what's the trip about her is that she doesn't like to do her interviews in person, which to me is the best what? part of doing an interview, right? That's and it's, strange, yeah. and it's so great to have that rapport with somebody. Huh. But she always does her interviews on the phone. That She's not comfortable. It's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, enough about her. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so <laughs> you grew up, um, sometimes we start the podcast with whatever, but um, I learned when you were here for an event, we had this like three, four right. weeks ago, that you were from New York City. Right. And so then I thought like, just start at the beginning, Dorka. Like, well, I won't start at the beginning, but yeah? I'll start at what got me out here, which I used to own a nightclub uh -huh. in New York City, and it was a lot of fun, but it was uh -huh. really wild. And... It was great for the year that it was opened, and uh -huh. I was in my 20s, and then I realized that it wasn't sustainable, uh -huh. uh, that I needed to sleep at some point. Uh -huh. So I had a great friend of mine who lived out here, and I'd been out here a few times because I was a, when I was younger, I was a hippie deadhead, and I used uh -huh. to come to San Francisco for the dead shows. Yeah. So I came out here and fell in love with it. Uh, and have been here ever since. But I go back to New York every couple of months. I have to get my fix. Ah. So, and when I came out here, I wasn't in the arts. I um, was mm. 
in politics. I got into politics out here, which uh, and in, worked a lot uh, on women's issues. Oh yeah, yeah. I, uh, I worked for Gloria Steinem. Okay. I uh, was uh, the president of the Commission on the Status of Women. I uh, was appointed by a couple of mayors to that. And then I started a couple of women's organizations with some other great women. One's Emerge. And yeah. We, and we, my friend Lisa Farmer. Oh, her? yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So Emerge is now in, we train Democratic women to run for office. Yes. We're now in 25 states. And then another Incredible. organization is called Ignite. And we're a political and civic leadership training program for high school girls. Uh-huh. Well, along the way, I, so I'm just really going to try to condense this, but I uh-huh. made a movie at the United Nations Fourth World Conference on Women in China. Uh-huh. I was sent as a delegate when I was working wow. for the National Organization for Women. Yeah. And I realized that I liked being a creative person and you know, I made movies for a while mm-hmm. and then moved into actually making art. So mm-hmm. you know, I have a couple of big sculptures here in town. One's Language of the Birds, which is on the corner of Columbus and Broadway, which I did with Brian Goggin, uh-huh. who's my art collaborator. Can you, expl- can you like, give us a little more detail for listeners, like where that at? It, yeah. It's a large installation. <laughs> it's right? a very large installation yes. and it's hanging over the plaza. And it's across the street from City Lights Bookstore. And if you yes. either live or don't live in San Francisco, you have to go to City Lights Bookstore because that's yes. one of the most iconic places that we have. Yes. And uh, so we were commissioned by the city to do this piece in the language of the birds is based on a Sufi poem mm-hmm. um, about the different birds that go in search of God. It's really about the quest for yourself, but uh, it's a beautiful Sufi poem, and it's also, we do site-specific work, so we really were interested in that neighborhood and how um, it has this very rich literary history, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, before the beats, the romance poets, mm-hmm. um, and also the Chinese in that neighborhood had a very rich literary history, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of site-specific stories, but it's really about this flock of books that take off from the plaza floor and they have LED lights in it and they look like um, a flock of pigeons because there's a whole group of pigeons that live in Washington Square Park nearby which we studied Uh and so it's this sort of this urban landscape and these flocks of books that's taking off and then out of the books it looks like words have fallen onto the plaza floor which are words from phrases from books by all the authors that we could find in the history of North Beach. Wow. Yeah. So that was... This is that plaza on... Uh, Broadway Kearney said? It's right on the corner of Columbus and Broadway. It's a little tiny, little tiny plaza. Yeah. Uh, It's right across the street. It's kitty corner from Tosca's and right across the street from City Lights Bookstore. Yeah. And that piece won Best Public Art. I think in like, I can't remember when. Whatever it was. But anyway. And then we did another piece called Caruso's Dream, which is on 9th between Market and Mission. The pianos. Right, which was commissioned by... um, So cool. Yeah, Avalon Bay, which is a residential uh, developer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, this amazing uh, woman developer. There's not a lot of them out there, but Mm -hmm. uh, Meg Spriggs. And so Caruso was uh, one of the most famous uh, opera tenors that ever lived. And he came to San Francisco once. He sang Carmen. He went to stay at the Palace Hotel and woke up to the 1906 earthquake. Oh. So that piece is our uh, what we imagine the dream he had the night he spent at the Palace Hotel. And cool. there's all sorts of, you know, he was the first person to embrace new technology at his t- of his time. You know, musician, and so he was the first person to sell a, wasn't a million records back then, it was a million songs, and uh-huh. so it was a lot of technology related stuff because that's the new tech gulch. And the sort of the secret thing is if you're driving in your car and you're going by. If you tune into 90.9 FM, which used to be the Palace Hotel radio station, uh-huh. uh, you can actually hear 
Enrico Caruso sing. We programmed all the lights to his songs, and not with algorithms, but we actually programmed by hand, like it's an opera. Uh -huh. And so uh, he's singing, and you can hear it on the radio, and then you can you can watch as you're going by, as you're stuck in traffic on 9th. Yeah, <laughs> and pray for like worse traffic. This is so fun. Yeah, like yeah. Going the, the, wrong, the other direction. Can you pull over on the side of the road and just like take it yep. all in? Every once in a while. So they're kind of like they're falling out of the buildings. They're all at different angles. Yep. I I know from. Yeah, like there like there was an earthquake, right? Yeah. yeah. So and then you know the turn of the century during when he was alive, the piano was a sign of culture, like mm -hmm. having an an iPhone or you know, an iPad are these mm. days. You know, if you didn't have a lot of money, you had to stand up. If you had more money, you had a, you, a grand, know, yeah. you had a baby grand. And if yeah. you had a lot of money, you had a grand. And you so you John grand, yeah. So, yeah, so it was really about culture. So when you were, you, you moved from doing documentaries, what was the first art piece or a thing you made or a project you're working on that you just decided like, you know what? This is something I'm great at and something I'm, this is my jam now. <laughs> well, I was working with Brian on Language of the Birds, and uh -huh. that was really, I mean, that was the first time I held a power tool. You know, I'm from New York City, I lived in an apartment building, but, yeah. and so Brian was incredibly generous about teaching me how to make and build things, and uh -huh. what, what's different about making art compared to making a movie, which is what I was doing for the, those years before, uh, is that you're actually physically making something. You know, a movie, you're at the edit suite, and. You know, you're moving some buttons around, but you're not even cutting film anymore, right? We, you know, it's all it's all video and, and on the computer. And I loved making things, yeah. physically making things. Yeah. And I have made all my work with Brian. I mean, I was I'm actually out there in a hard hat, yeah. you know, making my work. And I realized after the um, Caruso's dream that I did for Avalon Bay, I realized that there was this niche market that these developers all had these art requirements. In San Francisco, we had the 1% tax for the arts. And if there was, all of a sudden there's been, you know, this incredible upsurge of development. And all these developers had an art requirement and they didn't really know what to do. And, you know, there's a couple examples of some not so great public art out there. And we're all stuck looking at it because, uh -huh. you know, they have to put it in their public place. Mm -hmm. So I started this um, business, Keen on Art, which I, where I work with, uh, primarily real estate developers on large-scale public art projects. And because I have the background of making very complicated, crazy artworks myself, yeah. I, I've worked a lot with different kinds of materials, and I can work with artists who haven't worked in the public sphere like that and help them kind of take their ideas and, and make them real because I have that background knowledge. you know. And then I also, because of my work with the city and I sit on the Arts Commission, I have good connections with you know, the planning department and the building department and dealing with permits and all this, the, the not fun start stuff so of making art. Requirements. Like what are some of the requirements that they have to fulfill? And how do you, uh, you know, like how do you get, for instance, the pianos um, protruding <laughs> off the building over a sidewalk approved? You know, what are some of these obstacles? So that was actually a really interesting project because we actually had to get a variance from the planning department to have those pieces hanging over the street because yeah. they're hanging over the public right away. Yeah. But you can... You can uh, do an awning, right? You can do an, one, awning. One can do an awning. And so that's one thing I've really learned is I've really learned the planning code and the building code. These codes. pianos are awnings. Right. And so because there are no 
there are no art codes, right? So you have to get your artwork. You can't go get an art permit. That artwork is permitted as a sign. Huh. And so most often I get my artworks permitted either as a sign or as a, as a marquee, not as an awning. Uh -huh. And so it's about really knowing the code. And what's funny is, I mean, in, for certain areas, I know the code better than when I go in to actually meet with the permit person. Oh, and, right. and then, you know, and so, uh, you know, and then you, you have to work with them because they get very nervous about doing something that's out of the box and any kind of art oh, is yeah. out of the box. So that's what I've gotten good at. And the thing about San Francisco is though, whenever I go into the planning or building department, most of these folks are excited about an artwork. I mean, it's something oh, different, you relieved. know, right? Sure. So even though they get nervous often about, mm -hmm. you know, Ooh, how is that a sign? And then I can show them, you know, there's, you know, I have other, I can show the past works and whatever, so I can show examples, you know, so it's not the first one, so they don't feel like they're putting their oh, yeah. you know, neck on the line. Yeah. But that's something that I'm good at. And that's, a lot of people don't really, I mean, there's so many art consultants out there who are like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to do public art, you know? thinking there's so much money in it, which, you know, is not really the case, but they don't actually understand that so much of the work that you do as an art consultant in the public sphere is dealing with construction and, you know, permits uh, and, and infrastructure, mm -hmm. you know, all these kind of things that, you know, are not what you don't really have to worry about when you're just hanging a piece of artwork inside a house. Engineer. <laughs> yeah, a lot of engineering, structural engineering, you know, and just coordination with, you know, having, I mean, Salesforce Tower coordinating an artwork that was going on the top of the building that requires a lot of. Oh, did, were you involved with that? Yeah, oh, I was yeah. the art consultant for, it was actually. All the dancing is. So that's Jim Campbell, okay. who's a, a very famous. Um, light artist, but he was actually local, and he was commissioned by Boston Properties and Heinz, where we were the developers for the building, and Salesforce is the anchor tenant. Mm -hmm. And so did you put another piece on top of that, or are you talking about that, the, the dancing? The, the, the right, so, so what Jim does is he does these, so the top of the building is yeah. a 150 foot windscreen, yeah. and so he placed 11,000 LED lights into those windscreens and created a video mm -hmm. screen. And the work that he does is he normally takes uh, footage and then puts it through his proprietary algorithms and they create these diffused images. Mm -hmm. And so he, for that piece, he actually has uh, cameras down below, one looking at just the plaza, one is somewhere near the ocean and one is looking at the sky and then he's got some canned, those dancers I think are Alvin Ailey da dancers. And so actually every day the footage is different, huh. but it doesn't, you can't really tell because it's the sky or it's um, the... Yeah. Is he going to change the dancers? I don't know. You know, he's been working on creating new imagery. I th he had a much, he had an idea of having more cameras around town, but uh -huh. you know, we in America are concerned about surveillance and those mm. types of things. So putting cameras in the public realm is you know, a little fraught with danger. So he's been looking at different ways of putting new imagery on there. But it's supposed to be imagery that changes every day. But mm -hmm. it's very slight because, you yes. know, this, people are like, well, it looks like clouds up there. I'm like, yeah, well, there's clouds every day in the sky. <laughs> and you're looking at those clouds from that day, that evening, up in the sky, you know, mm -hmm. so. <laughs> yeah. And you were involved with the bay lights, too. Right. Why did he not, or why was it not desirable to do some sort of, like, light show like that? It's always... Who? Uh, um, 
the chap who just did oh Jim Campbell yeah, well Jim, Jim Campbell, Campbell is Jim Campbell, write that down. Jim Campbell is his own kind of artist yeah right so Leo has his look and Jim has his look yeah um, uh, but you were involved with uh, Leo's work too right you did the fundraising right led some of the fundraising well Leo I actually uh, have known for a very long time I've known him for 25 years and it's actually funny because this Saturday the San Jose Museum is having their gala and honoring Leo. Oh. But the way the Baylight started was San Jose Museum actually had Leo's first retrospective museum show in the United States. And when I was there, I, Ben Davis, who was doing marketing and branding for the Baylights, had sent me a text saying, hey, what are you doing? And so I sent a photo of myself in front of one of Leo's pieces, and he called me the next day and said, do you think Leo would want to do a piece on the bridge? I said, of course Leo would want to do a piece on the bridge. And so that's how it started. So, you know, we started that project, um, and then I was the one who raised the, you know, first $8 million for that project. Yeah. So, yeah. And that was for the initial installation? Right. And, and then they then had to raise ton more to get it permanent, because it was a two-year initial Exactly. So they had to raise an additional four million to oh, get, have a permit. Yeah. Bargain. <laughs> but those are so uh, extraordinarily uh, moving and like highlighted a part of our city that was sort of neglected. Yeah. It's like there was the sister bridge that just didn't get quite as much love. But you are bigger, aren't you, girl? Yeah. And not only that, <laughs> I mean, it's been a real draw for the Embarcadero. So yeah, all those yeah. businesses oh, and restaurants. Yeah. And I'm a big believer that public art is an economic driver. And mm. so you put art in a certain neighborhood, um, it, it's a way to bring people to that neighborhood. And you can see it in Hayes Valley. Hayes Valley used to be, you know, there was yeah. the, the uh, on-ramp, then they got rid of the on-ramp, yeah. they cr- opened that park up, it was a, you know, you could buy drugs there basically. And then they started putting art there and the community got very involved and got involved with the art. And, you know, now it's a place that you want to hang out and the entire neighborhood has changed. Totally true. So what neighborhood would benefit from more art and what neighborhoods are popping with art? I mean, I think every neighborhood can benefit from more art. But what's going on right now in San Francisco, which is very cool, is in the Bayview. Uh, The Public Utilities Commission uh, is the Arts Commission's largest client. So not only is there an art requirement for real estate developers, but there's an art requirement for public construction, Mm -hmm. which is 2%. And that 2% goes to the Arts Commission, and that's what we spend... How we how we make do the public art pro- program, which I chair the Visual Arts Committee for the city. Yeah. So the P, the PUC is doing all this renovation and construction out in the Bayview, and they're building a new community center out there. They're commissioning a lot of public art out there, and it's a community that could really benefit from having their neighborhood beautified. Also, that whole neighborhood is in its own way being gentrified. There's a lot of city buildings that are building being built out there. So there's a not lot of new art that's going to go out there. And one of the things that we're doing at the Arts Commission is that we um, developed a registry of Bayview uh, Bay artists and artists that have connections to the Bayview so that we could actually prioritize mm-hmm. those artists so that artists in the neighborhood could, could get some of these I'd great projects. That's um, great. And then what's been really fun since I've been on the Arts Commission is doing the airport. You know, we've been revitalizing the airport yeah. over many, many years, and we just um, completed um, the Southwest Terminal, which is now called the Moscone Terminal, and uh, put in about $11 million worth of art. So it's definitely worth flying out of that terminal just wow. to see what the art is. Jeez. And then we just opened the Chase Center, 
and I was the art consultant for that. Right on. And I'm going to see a show on the 9th of October. Oh, great. I'm well, you'll see, you'll see Oliver Eliasson's piece uh, right out front, um, which is an incredible, incredible artwork. And he's an artist that I've wanted to bring to San Francisco for a really long time. Oh, so we worked for five years on that project. So that's pretty fun. So I have a question then. I'm, my brain is spinning. <laughs> Uh, we have an idea to maybe do a parklet out in front of our studio here. Sure. On Sacramento Street. Um, what would be a good idea? Because you take over t- two parklets. Small potatoes <laughs> for you. I know, but you're a brainstormer. Right. Um, what do you think would be a good idea? Colorful, uh, you know, interactive. I've got a few ideas. Have you ever Well, what, I mean, that? do you want the parklet because you want places to sit? Or what's the purpose of the parklet? Don't think but, about the art. Just think about why do you uh, want to, yeah, why but, do you want to take two parking spaces away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, this is, the street is uh, in between a, a bunch of a retail to our east and right. retail to the west. And this has very little. And there's no parks really close to this area. So I think it just kind of community building and a reason to kind of stop off for a second or yeah to sit I mean not to not to loiter but um, <laughs> you know to just gather people and, um, so so a place to sit and to hang yeah. out right so I, I always like the things to be playful too right I mean, and the idea of having a swing for like a little kid to have a swing on it but I don't know if that's there's too much liability on that I don't, well I, don't I think know. the swing is an issue play playground uh, requirements are horrendous mm. and yes you don't want some kid to fall off your yeah. swing but you know you could have an artist develop some really cool seating you know yeah. and some sculptural elements that, it, that are part of the parklet I want it to be green as well I want right. it to be integrated with lots of planters and high and low and sure. elevation change and, and lots of artists change. work with uh, landscape also so yeah. you know I, I always think it's great to have an artist on board from the beginning of whatever project you're working on and mm. so I always you know architects, buildings, whatever, when you have an artist kind of just there as part of the thinking process, mm-hmm. they help you think outside the box. Mm-hmm. So maybe as you're starting to develop, you know, your parklet, you think about a couple of artists that you like, that you'd like to work with, you know, that, um, that you think would be a fun addition to the thinking process. Yeah. That's a good idea. Okay, cool. Got that out of the way. <laughs> um, and uh, so you're on this arts commission, you're a chair. I'm chair of the visual arts committee. Chair of the visual arts committee. Yeah. And uh, what uh, what all what all tasks do you guys take on? So the arts commission is a huge department, uh-huh. um, which does a lot of different work. We provide community grants. We provide artist grants. We uh, oversee the cultural centers that we have around the, the city. I mean, we fund the symphony. We do a ton of stuff. Yeah. But my little area which is not so little, it's a lot of money and it's a lot of fun, is the public art program, which is what yeah, I was yeah, saying, which yeah. is at 2% of yeah, civic yeah. construction. So the Visual Arts Committee commissions all the public art for the city and county of San Francisco, including the airport, Moscone Center, the um, yeah. you know, so Central yeah, Subway. We, so we're, you know, so we def, you know, put together um, master plans for different projects, for different buildings and commission artists to develop site-specific proposals for those buildings. Are there going to be anything, uh, any interesting artwork for, I guess, the BART, uh, the BART expansion to Chinatown? So it's not BART. Oh, it's, it's Muni, sorry. It's Muni. So, yeah. so yeah, so the Central Subway. Mm-hmm. So we don't do BART because that's not city, county, that's Got state, it. right? But we do, we are doing the Central Subway if it yeah. ever opens. <laughs> I just heard it's being delayed by another year. So we when was actu- it supposed to be delivered? Well, I think it was supposed to be delivered at the beginning of this year. 
and then we were just talking about it. I think it was then we were talking the beginning of next year, and now we're talking the end of next year. So we commissioned artwork for all those stops years ago. Oh. It's just sitting in there. You know, a lot of that artwork is sitting in a warehouse waiting to be installed. Get out. Yeah. So it's good. There's some really, really. Um, uh, Roxy Payne is doing a 140-foot steel uh, branch for Moscone Center subway stop. Um, there's some great local artists, mm. um, Hugh Starkweather, who are doing um, this amazing glass piece for the entrance of the Union Square stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some. Jim Campbell is actually doing the guy who did the Salesforce Tower mm-hmm. is actually doing a piece in the Union Square. Um, Urban Rettle, who's another really amazing light artist, is doing another piece in another subway stop. I can't remember which one right now. Yeah. So there's going to be some great artwork if that ever opens. <laughs> and then if you've ever been, you know, you know, uh, yeah. same with the Transbay Terminal. Um, there's some great oh. artwork in there. If uh, you know Jenny Holzer and some local artists. So the, I don't know if you've been to the. Uh, I've been to the park upstairs. Right. I walk through the facility a little bit. I mean. It's, it, it looks like more of a kind of just a place to go look around right now. Cause right. No, no, maybe are the buses running now? Yet? Well, no, because you know there was that huge, huge crisis. Yeah. So we opened it, yeah. had a big opening, and then we closed it. So when it reopens, there is some great art in there. I walked around maybe two months ago, just as yeah. a, in the beginning of the summer. It's beautiful. The, bil- the building's really beautiful, uh, but, isn't yeah, it? The, no, the top park. I mean, the red. The park road is great. Is, it's yep. incredible. And the skin of the building, I think, is, is gorgeous. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there's going to be a lifetime of things to keep you busy. <laughs> hey, what about this, the Sights Unseen? Sights oh, yeah. Unseen.org. Yeah, so Sights Unseen, when I was working on Salesforce Tower, which is right next to the Yerba Buena Community Benefit District, which is right next to um, Yerba Buena Center, there was a lot of conversation that was going on in the neighborhood about how do we connect the Salesforce tower with the Transbay Terminal with the rest of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the Urbana Community Benefit District was really interested in also activating a lot of side streets and, and alleys. So I started a nonprofit, Sights and Scene, which was about putting art into alleys to engage the neighborhood, sort of like what you want to do with the partlet. So, so that yeah. you know, people will come out, hang out in the alleys, you know, folks doing drugs might not hang out in the alleys as much. You know, neighborhood businesses will start putting seating, et cetera, out there and, and start mm-hmm. making these places where you want to hang out rather yeah. than places you want to avoid. So we commissioned, uh, I raised a bunch of money and commissioned three artists to do site-specific works. One is Barry McGee, who is our, you know, very famous now, but started out as a street artist here in San Francisco, and it was so strange because he didn't have any public art here in San Francisco. So we did, uh, he did a big piece on the Moscone Center garage, and then we do these series of activations. So like when we had the opening, we had all these, we worked with a straight gang group and, you know, variety of different groups to do sort of uh, smaller art activations and, and, and events and activities so that the neighborhood could get involved, not just looking at art, but you actually can participate in art. And then we did a piece with Hank Willis Thomas, who is a very famous uh, African-American artist who now is in New York, but went to CCA for eight years. Mm-hmm. And that was his first public artwork. And he did that neon piece, Love Over Rules. I saw that on the site. Yeah. Right, Where is that? That's right next to Spur and right across from oh. Moad from the you know, African-American Museum. Oh, right. 
So that was a lot of fun. And then we worked with a, a local artist named Leah Rosenberg to do a seating series of seating elements. She might be an interesting artist for you to talk to about your parklet. So is she the one that all is like blue, green, yellow, orange? Right. With uh, really strong... Uh, bright colors on walls and yes, seating and, seat, and seating area. Right. Where is that? So that is as you go into um, the back side of SF MoMA. So all those artworks are around SF MoMA. Um, in the back of, if you walk into the back of MS, SF mm. MoMA, mm-hmm. and it's actually on the Art Institute building there. So. Okay. And that's uh, that site was, say, site. Sites unseen. Sites unseen. And I'm about to start. Um, I've been talking to Marilyn Minter about doing a piece with her and um, also doing another, uh, Nikki de Saint-Fal is dead, but she has a foundation that has her works and she's probably sort of the first woman public artist. Um, I don't know if you've seen her work. Have you been to the Pompidou in Paris? Um, The museum? uh, I don't think so, no. no. Anyway, she does these really fun, colorful pieces. It, is that one that's in a historic old structure with a carrying bone? No, the Pompidou is a super super modern okay. building. Yeah. Um, how do how do like uh, the the developers find you? Do you want to tell me your site also or like? You know, not not you? you know. It's it's. I was as I was saying when I finished the piece Caruso's Dream at Avalon Bay it was Meg Spriggs, who was this woman developer. I told her my idea uh-huh. of uh, starting this art consulting company Kino that specializes art, yeah. with working with developers and she thought it was a great idea. She introduced me to another woman who was part of Heinz and that's how I got the Salesforce uh-huh. tower job. And so first it just was it was very much kind of women that uh-huh. I knew that's in the cool. business because there was literally like only three of them. Um, it's kind uh-huh. of fun now I see more women in real estate but sort of at the very senior level there's still very few. Yeah. Uh, you know it was word of mouth and it's continued to be word of mouth. Uh, I mean, I literally just met with someone today who's doing a huge project up in Napa that, you know, a friend of his had recommended that he call me. So I, it's really been word of mouth. And I've been very fortunate and I have had an amazing time working with all my clients. And I don't have to take on a lot of clients because they're, they're big jobs. Yeah. And so it's, it's, been, it's kind of been an amazing experience. Requires a lot of time uh, at the planning department, <laughs> trucking out your photos, the last project. You know, not fortunately, not too much. Good. Not too much, but yeah. Good. <sighs> um, let's see. So I do want to hear more about uh, you co-founded and the co-chair of Emerge America. Sure. Because one of my friends, I guess, uh, I said uh, a shout out to Lisa Farmer, <laughs> <laughs> but she uh, and our mayor, our board, mayor right? London Breed. Yes, that's right, <laughs> right? That's right. One of our early graduates. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I was in I was in politics, and I was was working for the National Organization for Women, and then I worked for Gloria Steinem, mm-hmm. and it was after you remember the year of the woman when all these women got elected, yeah. and then sort of the next election round, everyone was out, and mm-hmm. so we started looking at why was it that women weren't running, and there really was very little research at that time, but what we realized was that women weren't running because no one asked them, and women didn't think that they were qualified to run, even if you met with the CEO of a, of a company, a woman CEO she would start making all these excuses about why she wasn't qualified. Oh. And so we realized it was a real opportunity to start a program that would train women to how to run for office and how to network and how to be dialed into the Democratic Party, how to do public speaking and how to uh, you know, be able to sell themselves in a way that felt really authentic. And so it was a, we started it, it's an eighth month program, but it's one weekend a month. 
then we also had to really adapt it to how women work and live and having kids and uh-huh. uh, and so you know it started here in the Bay Area and then we expanded and we're now in 25 states and it's been hugely successful and we're How really many years? Oh my god at least 15 if not more oh, yeah. I can't remember but it's been very successful and we're really the only organization in the country that does this level of training I mean some you know there's Emily's list a couple others that do some fundraising training or a weekend training mm-hmm. and we work a lot with them like we bring Emily's List in to help us with the fundraising element of our program or whatever but we're really, really the only ones who have a comprehensive program. You know so, what I love about you kind yeah. of sitting here talking? It's like, I, I feel like your, um, your, your way of thinking is you know, how, can we, how can we make sure what, we're, what the best outcome we dream of happen and it doesn't sound like you see many obstacles and you're, you spend more of your energy like thinking about how we want the, the things that do want to happen, let's see how we make sure we make that happen. Full stop. Is that correct? Or is that Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am really interested in, you know, how we all engage with each other and how we engage in the public sphere. And so I've had this opportunity to really have an influence on, you know, what's happening, for example, here in San Francisco around women's issues, around the arts. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only am I working on, you know, putting public art in the public sphere, but we work on policy around how do we make sure that artists can stay in San Francisco, how that they can afford to live here, that arts nonprofits can stay here, that art, you know, that art galleries can stay here. So I'm very interested in always those, that type of thinking. And, you know, it, it started with women's issues, but then, you know, I started, and then I realized that I like being creative. And so that mm-hmm. there was a different way of telling a story than, mm-hmm. you know, you can do, you can tell a story in politics, you can tell a story in film. You can tell a story in art. You can tell a story in design, right? There's different ways you can tell a story with a book, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, how do we tell the story that we want to, you know, see? Mm-hmm. What are some of the solutions you're implementing or, or pushing forward for keeping artists in San Francisco? When I first got on the Arts Commission, I was stunned that you know all these artists were coming to talk about the issues they were having, and nothing was really going on around it. And so we did a survey at the Arts Commission of what exactly was happening to these artists, like how many were leaving, how many were losing their houses, what their needs mm-hmm. were, and also looking at arts nonprofits, and look, because there were so many arts nonprofits that were leaving. After we did the survey, we oh, yeah. went to the mayor and asked for several million dollars to help arts nonprofits buy their buildings or get new leases or uh-huh. have technical assistance because some of these arts nonprofits, you know, they've had these leases and they probably hadn't even read them. You know, they're probably not the best at uh-huh. So they were being kicked out and, you know, tech companies uh-huh. were coming uh-huh. in, all that kind of thing. So Gosh. we were very successful at helping uh, arts nonprofits stay in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, we started a thing with uh, the Rainin Foundation and some other foundations called the Community Arts Stabilization Trust, which still exists today. and is a way to help not nonprofits stay in the city. So these nonprofits come to the Community Arts Stabilization Trust, they get help, technical help, and then they also get financial help and and uh-huh. are able to buy their buildings. Great. So that's that's one way that we've been able to um, we've also been working with artists around affordable housing, section eight housing. Uh, it's been a little bit it's been less successful. I've been wanting to build affordable housing for artists here in the city. But the problem with this city is that the minute you want to build affordable housing in one neighborhood, you know, 
everyone has the freak out. I mean, we pretend that we're really progressive right. in the city, but we're really not. We're progressive as long as we're doing it in another neighborhood. Right. So we don't want affordable housing no. in our neighborhood. We want it somewhere else. And yes, yes we think it's a great idea. Yes. So, you know, and there's just a lot of competition. And you want to build affordable housing in one neighborhood and then everybody else, you know, older people or teachers or whatever want to have access to that affordable housing too. So we end up just being in a log jam. Uh -huh. um, and then, you know, we um, also saw that there were a lot of gallery spaces that um, were leaving. So uh, it was really exciting that um, the Rappaports, you know, and I worked with the Rappaports to um, help create Minnesota Street Project. Yeah. So that was Great. another another way to kind of keep, because, you know, all those galleries represent local artists. Mm -hmm. I've been Nancy Toomey moved yep. over there from yeah. I mean, a lot of 49 Geary like just shut down basically, didn't it? Or, well, 49 Geary yeah. was kind of sad. Let's just start with that, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd much rather go to Minnesota Street, yeah. wouldn't you, than 49 Geary with those terrible fluorescent lights. Oh, yeah. But it was also getting expensive. It was central. Right? Yeah. It was central, I guess, you know, but, you know, San Francisco's really moved south. I uh -huh. mean, if you look at Dogpatch and that whole area, I mean, it's a whole new city and you see mm. all that development. I mean, they're literally developing the entire waterfront now. Mm -hmm. I mean, Pier 70 is going in, okay. and India Basin, China Basin, right? They're, they're developing it all the way down south. And I mean, Dogpatch is packed. I gotta get down there more. It's uh, when I do, I go down to China mm -hmm. Basin, it's like there's five new buildings. Oh, yeah, there's it's an crazy. New, like, it's streets. It's, there's three new streets I've yeah, never seen. I mean, and you know, Uber's moving there, all their headquarters. They've got four buildings there. And so mm. there's San Francisco is literally moving south. Yeah. Um, Doka, this is, uh, we've gotten through so much, <laughs> but so little at the same time. We, um, we call these pod snacks. So will, like, come back. They want more. Right. I, believe. I want more of it. I have to tell you, just, you're such a fascinating person. You're doing such great work. And um, I just applaud you. And it's a privilege to sit down with you and learn about all these things that the raising money for the Bay Lights, um, being in, involved with all these these public art installations. I mean, it, it, we really probably just scratched the surface. I, in fact, I know we did. But thank you for coming and sharing your story, a little bit of it, and your time with us, me today, <laughs> uh, Robbie too, <laughs> over here. Um, but it's just a delight, and you're such a charming woman. So thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Oh, I just forgot the last question I okay. want to ask everybody: Is this? Uh, What's your favorite room in your house and why? Well, you're going to have to come over because since you're a designer, you would appreciate my house because I actually designed a lot of my own furniture. Killer. Um, and so it's kind of hard to say because I like each one of my rooms for different reasons. I would say that I really, well, I have a front room. I have an uh, old uh, Victorian and so my, the front, and what's interesting about mine is that the rooms are all pretty big, but, and I blew out a bunch of the walls because, you know, I hate that kind of dark Victorian, you railroad. know, with the hallway, yeah. railroad. Mm -hmm. And so I blew out all the walls. And so my front room, which is this salon, which, you know, that was this, you know, the salon, is now my dining room. But it's also where I have, you know, people from work, for work comes over and I have, it's my conference table. So it's this really multi-use room. Uh -huh. And it has a carpet in there made out of felt that I made with a felt artist. And it's the largest, I think, felt carpet in existence. And this could be a whole nother story. Uh -huh. but, so it's a, it's a really fun room for me. And 
and it's got a lot it's got great light and it's just what I love is you know I have my I used to be nervous about having my clients over because I didn't have an office uh -huh. and I remember I had the entire Warriors design team come over to my house and sit around my conference table you know my Serenian table um, you know which yeah. is also my dining room table for breakfast and they just they loved being in the house and they loved seeing how I lived and the art that I had on the wall and the the art books and whatever and so I feel a lot more comfortable about having clients to my house and having that experience so it's a you know so it's a fun room and you know the whole house is pretty fun that's awesome yeah I'll take up on that offer I'm no right problem. down the street I'm right down the street cool well thank you again <laughs> my from, pleasure um, with all um, sincerity and love so thank you cheers